It's Ty Power's Big Footy final sale. To kick things off, you can get the power to buy three and get one free on selected Toyo passenger car and SUV tyres. Ty Power's Big Footy final sale can't last. Visit typower.com.au now. Hi everyone, it's Brett Phillips here, host of The First Serve, and welcome to the latest edition of our Crunching the Numbers podcast, which has been an absolute beauty in 2020, with Mark Safoulis and Shane Leonard. And just before we get into this edition, a reminder that The First Serve, our live weekly radio show on the SCN Radio Network, will be back next Monday, the 14th of September, two time slots in and around the AFL footy coverage at the moment, 6pm on SEN Track, 1593am on the dial in Melbourne, also online sen.com.au and via the SEN app and if you miss that you can catch it replayed after the footy at 10pm Australian Eastern Standard Time on Monday night the 14th on 11.16 SEN in Melbourne or 16.29 SEN SA in Adelaide and also via the app and online. Of course if you miss us live or replayed you can always listen to the podcast version but let's get into another big edition of Crunching the Numbers with Mark Safoulis and Shane Leonage. Welcome to Crunching the Numbers, the first serves in-depth look at the art and science of playing the game. Welcome to another episode of Crunching the Numbers. I'm Master Force, your host, and my co-host, as always, is the numbers man, Shaylee and us from Data Driven Sports Analytics, most sought-after data man in the world. Oh, well, okay, we'll say in the world. Just for our sake anyway, Shane, you are a star of the game. You uh, crunch the numbers all over the place for so many different players, for so many different sports, and uh, we are absolutely privileged to have you on this show as a co-host. So thanks so much again for joining us. Thanks, guys, and thanks, Mark. Uh, you never let the truth really get in the way of an introduction. <laughs> oh, well, Shane, I've got, to, I've got to make data interesting because a lot of you guys make data so boring and uh, as a coach, I'm not the most intellectual person in the world, but I like to have a little bit of fun and data does bore the hell out of me at times. And it probably bores the hell out of a lot of people, except for you. You are the man who enjoys talking about numbers and data. I hated maths at school. I hate it now. I'll hate it forever, but I love what you bring to the show and uh, it is absolutely brilliant. Today, we're talking about under pressure and I'm going to put you under pressure today and you're going to give us some of the under pressure stats that you've been uh, talking to me about you know, off air. I think we have great conversations around what the best players do under pressure and how, how it affects behaviour and so forth. You know, what have you brought to us today? You've done a lot of research on this and what's, uh, what's going through your head today and what are you going to give the listeners? Yeah, yeah. So uh, look, this concept of clutch um, is, is something I want to dive into today. And it's, it's something you hear in all sports. You, you, you've probably seen now that a lot of you may have seen The Last Dance, the Michael Jordan documentary and how Michael Jordan's clutch under pressure, you know, buzzer beaters. Yeah. You've seen in other sports in AFL a couple of years ago, Dom Sheed kicked a amazing goal from the boundary line uh, under stop pressure. Stop it, stop it, enough of that. <laughs> <laughs> He's a Collingwood fan, so I, I wanted to bring that in somehow. Uh, and cricket, Steve Waugh hitting the a boundary of the last ball. So clutch is a, is a concept that uh, exists in all sports. Um, and it, in fact, that sort of behaviour under pressure is a human behaviour, that flight versus flight sort of response. Um, and it's, I suppose, accentuated in tennis with the unique scoring system, meaning that really not all points are actually equal. So... Um, that's sort of set in the scene, but uh, the, the, the match that I think Mark and I have certainly been talking a lot about is the, 
Wimbledon final from last year, the men's final, where Novak Djokovic won that incredible five-set match, saved a lot of break points, uh, actually uh, broke back, um, saved a lot of match points uh, in, in winning that match. And one of the first things that I did, being being the stats person, I went and had a look at the stats line, the box scores. And, and if you read it and didn't know the score and you read those stats, you would think Roger won. There's no... Uh, and I'll read some of them out. Roger out-aced him, 26 to 10. Fewer double faults, higher first serve percentage, more wins on a first serve percentage, equal sort of wins on the second serve. Roger had more break points, converted more break points, won more receiving points, won 14 more points, and yet he lost the match. Just whatever you do, do not tell Roger. <laughs> don't bring it up ever if you speak to him. If, you, if he comes to Kuyong, don't ask him that question, Mr. Mr. Questions Man over there about tennis balls. Uh, I, I, need, I think we need to make sure that we, uh, we keep that away from Rods because that could be painful. And I think in any sport, if you win your KPIs, if you win the data, it's so painful to look at because you know that you deserve that win. And I know from a fan's perspective that Roger deserved that tournament uh, the way that he played right the way through, right up until that final and even in that final. He was the most deserving player on that court. And, you know, I think because I'm a Roger fan, I'm pretty biased towards it. But, you know, at the end of the day, you know, as you said, it must be really challenging for a player like that to, to win all of that data and to lose the match. Yeah, yeah. So uh, I think what, so. looking at something like that, there was something that I wanted to, to understand. I, I wanted to understand how Novak Djokovic won the match. So there's one key sort of area that we, we track a data-driven sports analytics. It's something that I've worked um, and I've used with some players with Mark as well. And it's under pressure. The points won under pressure or the, the behavior under pressure. And, and that was one category that Novak Djokovic won. And I'll, I'll set the scene here with the, the calculation, but he had an under-pressure uh, score of 1.11. A score of one means that both players split the under-pressure points, but Novak was winning a bit more than that, and Roger was winning 0.89. So while Roger won a lot more points in the match, when it was those key moments, the break points, points in the tie break, Novak Djokovic actually excelled. And what did he do in, in those moments? Well, the, the key thing that we looked at was how he hit his forehand. So his forehand throughout the match, we scored in terms of uh, aggression out of 10 we scored 5.6 in the in those moments he was more aggressive he was hitting it at 7.8 out of 10 so he he was more aggressive went closer to the lines he uh, the speed of the shot was higher he changed directions more and he had the confidence to do it it's a very interesting stat that I would never even thought of that Novak Djokovic would step up in those moments um, generally you know I look at Novak as the best counter-punching aggressive baseliner in the world and and his go-to plan is to be out there as long as he can you know deflect your ball speed he absorbs really well he moves amazingly he keeps the ball in play longer than anyone makes fewer errors that's how I see Novak Djokovic winning his matches but on the big moments you know stepping around utilizing his weapon I think you know is something that not a lot of people would probably see happen you know with Novak and the numbers are probably telling us something that our eyes aren't seeing absolutely and it's it's not the first time he's done it and, and um, I think the US Open um, against Roger unfortunately as well for the Roger fans down <laughs> match points it, it was his forehand and he hit two incredible winners, which um, at the time you, you kind of felt like, was he trying to throw the match at that point, just going for ridiculous winners? But he has consistently found a way to, uh, to, to trust his game, to take it to a more aggressive level than his normal baseline play in those moments. And that's built sort of confidence. Um, and uh, yeah, he went to the well again at Wimbledon um, and, and it came out um, in his favour again. Um, but I, I want to sort of throw a few other finals that I looked at which uh, also had similar sort of stories um, uh, with players just 
behaving or playing a little bit better under pressure. And one for the Aussies this might sting a little bit, but the the Goran Ivanisevic final um, where he beat Pat Rafter, he stepped it up really in that last set by actually making sure he cut out his errors. So um, so he, he sort of handled the pressure a little bit differently. The other two ones were the Nadal Federer finals from 2008 and 2009 respectively, where Nadal just handled the pressure moments a little bit better than Federer, even though statistically the rest of the match was almost equal. Um, and the other one, uh, stand the man in the 2016 US Open final against Novak. He was incredible in those pressure moments. He he won a, a lion's share of it against Novak, who was probably the benchmark in that category. It's amazing stats and data because I think the hardest thing that I find as a coach is we can teach so much about the skills and, and, and so forth, but in those moments, it's a mindset. You know, it's mental behavior. It's what you're thinking at that moment. You know, my philosophy on coaching is to coach from the inside out and coach thoughts because thoughts create actions. But at those moments, Moments, it's the player who can calm themselves down, stay composed, make the right decisions. You know, do I go bigger? Do I do I pull back a little bit? You know, Goran pulled back, Novak pull, you know, pulls up. You know, two players who, you know, their, their go-to plan, like Novak's plan is to hold in the rally. Goran's plan is to go big. And then they basically flip under pressure. And, you know, is there a story behind that? Is it is it something that the best players are doing? They flip their game plan under the big moments. And they play a different way. It's an interesting topic of conversation because I'd love to be able to get into the minds of these athletes and think, okay, well, to get to 30 all, what do you do? And then what do you do from 30 all? Yeah. You know, I think that's a really interesting conversation that we could probably bring up with some of the best players in the world. It's incredibly interesting, I think, uh, and we've said it in the past. The game is played as much between the lines as it is between the ears. So the, the big players have found a way to sort of master it. And, and just on your on the on the point that you made, I think it's a, as much about sort of reading the situation. So and then Nadal one where, where I mentioned before the 2008 Wimbledon final, he actually went more aggressive in that fifth set. So he, if you recall, he. He won the first two sets and then Roger won two close sort of tie breaks. Nadal had those match points in, in the fourth set, didn't get them. There was a rain delay and after he came back, he was more aggressive. And that, the, sort of the data sort of shows that as well. Whereas in the 2009 Australian Open final, he actually went into lockdown mode and he was like, I'm not making any mistakes. Roger, you have to hit the winner. And and Roger couldn't do it. So a different approach for against the same opponent. So I think the player, to be able to read that situation, know how you're feeling, know the conditions, and then um, I suppose go into those pressure moments with a, a set plan. It's uh, it's interesting. It's fascinating to me. And I think that's what the best players and teams around the world at any moment are able to do is they go back to what makes them play really well. Go back to their key performance indicators. They go back to their strengths, and they they play to those exceptionally well in those big moments. They they trust them. They know them. They've worked on them. They've practiced them so many times. They've mentally rehearsed it so many times. And that's what separates the good from, from the great. And, and, and the great players are able to take that next gear up. They're able to change a match. They're able to make a good decision. Uh, and, you know, just, they just trust themselves so much more in those big moments. And I think, you know, you talk, we're talking a lot about Federer and Nadal Djokovic, who have just dominated the world over the last, you know, 10 years. And I think those three players have another gear every time they're playing. And it's great to see that. 
but it's also great to understand what they do to do that, you know, the practical side. The other player that's dominated uh, over that, that and longer is Serena Williams. So one of the things that she does incredibly well, so once she gets broken, she wins 66% of the first point on the next sort of uh, return game. So she's immediately gone, okay, I've been broken, but I'm going to put pressure on you immediately after. And she breaks back 45% of the time. It just shows that the mental fortitude, even after having a little bit of a setback, she's right back in there putting pressure on her opponent and, and as a coach you can't teach that you know as a data analyst you can't give anything away that there is pure mentality and that's you know that's something that the player is born with that hunger to not lose a match you know to not to not give away anything it's that nature versus nurture kind of thing you know i think it's important to understand that players have got that intuition and serena's got that to go I'm not losing now. I'm not losing another game or, you know, and I think it's the mental side of the game that is very critical. And, you know, if you look at the best players in the world, they just know when when their back's against the wall, they just know how to pull something out. And Serena has been doing that for years and she'll continually do that, I think. And, um, you know, she's an amazing athlete. As the other three players we always mention, Roger Raffer and, and Novak can do under pressure, they actually go to another level. It'd be interesting, Mark, and I'm, I'm putting this uh, to you maybe without a lot of notice on, is there anything that you, you do to sort of prepare your your junior athletes to, to face these under-pressure moments and anything that you ask them to think about? I'm a big believer that players need to understand how to lose and how to win very early. A lot of the talk around competitive circles is that we need to protect our kids early in their development, but I think it's the opposite. The more you protect them, the worse they become at it. So we've got to put them under pressure as much as we can. You've got to prepare them you know that the world is never easy the world is never a straight line to success it's about you know overcoming problems adversity it's becoming resilient and becoming tough and you've got to put your players into that situation to understand what that situation is going to make them feel like and then teaching the mechanisms to get out of it you know and i think it's important to give them processes to do that you know the mind needs to to think in the conscious thoughts rather than in subconscious um, and we need to have really good present moment thinking and good processes to be able to get out of that. So, you know, to answer your question, I give them two or three things that they do really well. And, and when they're under pressure, they should think of those two or three things and, and be able to execute those under pressure and, you know, play to your strengths. When, when, you know, the moment is there for you to step up, play to your strengths as much as you can and go to your weapons and go to your go-to plays and, you know, if the player is able to beat you doing that, too good. Well done. Shake their hand at the end and, and you know, tell them you'll get them next time. But, you know, at the end of the day, if you don't play to your strengths in those moments, you're under a lot of pressure as it is and it'd be hard to get out of it. I'm sure this is something we can certainly build on in a future episode as well. It's certainly a, a lot to, to think about and, and a lot to, certainly from an, a data analyst point of view, to look at in terms of under pressure and that sort of mental side of the game, which I think the higher you go up, it becomes even more and more critical. Absolutely. And that is the art and the science coming together i know the art is much more important than the science chain but it's okay if you don't agree with me um you will never agree with me on that situation but uh i challenge you if you're listening to this episode to to have a think about what you do under pressure have a think about how you go about things when it's a 30 or a juice point do you stick to what you do normally do you change it up you know the best players in the world obviously do something a little bit different to be able to take it to another level and to raise their game to that next level against their opponent but Shane Leonard you have been brilliant again you've brought to us some great stats about the game and it's interesting to note that those best players do change it up a little bit under those big moments so thanks again obviously you can find Shane at data-driven sports analytics he's got a website he's got social media platforms he has a package on the tennis menu which is uh, brilliant and only going to be 
become even more brilliant as he as he does more research and adds to that. But Shane, you're you're a great man, uh, great with your data, great with everything that you do. Thanks so much for all your help, and uh, looking forward to uh, to moving forward to the next episode next week. Thanks, Mark, and th- thanks everyone for listening and uh, tune in for next week. Thanks very much. It's been another episode of Crunching the Numbers. Do go back and listen to all of the other episodes that we have done in the past. Creeping up to that number thirty, I think, Shane, and we're doing plenty of episodes. Go back and have a listen. Also, check out the First Serve show with Brett Phillips in the huddle, Aussies only. Plenty of podcasts on the first serve. Check it all out. Check out the tennis menu, www.thetennismenu.com. If you want to improve your game, improve your knowledge, and improve what you know about the game of tennis. Thanks so much. I've been Mark Sapolis, your host of this show. Subscribe to the first serve via Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or your preferred podcast platform to listen at your convenience to all our weekly content including past editions of Crunching the Numbers, as well as our dedicated commercial radio program each Monday on SEN that you may have missed at 7pm Eastern, Aussies only, and In the Huddle, produced by Study and Play USA. Subscribe to The First Serve, your home of tennis. G'day, Mike Hussey here. Get on board Australia's best fantasy cricket game, KFC Supercoach BBL. It's fun, free and easy to play. Play today at supercoach.com.au. T's and C's apply. New South Wales authorisation number TP slash 01005.